Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 483. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by SlowFlowers.com, the free online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with local and seasonal flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. Our first sponsor thanks goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Can you believe we are saying goodbye finally to 2020 very soon? It has been a year like no other, and the Slow Flowers podcast has been a channel for highlighting, sharing, encouraging, and challenging all that our community has faced, from silver linings and pivots to resiliency and change. One of my goals for 2020 was to feature the voices of leadership from our strategic partner and Slow Flower sponsor, the Association of Specialty Cutflower Growers. We got lucky with timing and managed to schedule nearly all of those conversations this year, despite all the distractions. Today, you will meet or re-meet, since she is a past guest of this podcast, Shanti Raid of Whipstone Farm in Paulden, Arizona. Shanti represents ASCFG in the South and Central region, comprised of eight states, Arizona, where she is based, as well as Arkansas, Colorado, Louisiana, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Texas, and Utah. Back in February of 2017, I visited my parents in Mesa, Arizona, which is near Phoenix, and during that time, I gathered with a group of Slow Flowers members on a tour of Whipstone Farm. It was such a fabulous day trip, taken with my friends Morgan Anderson of the Flory Duck Culture and Ann Jensen of Ann E's Fresh Flowers. We drove up north about 115 miles away and arrived at the High Desert Food and Flower Farm, operated by Corey and Shanti Raid. You can hear the episode that Shanti and I recorded that day as we sat inside the cozy and sunny high tunnel where her ranunculus grows. I will share the link in our show notes today. It's a great introduction to this experimental and creative flower grower who has developed a market for local flowers through trial and error and excellent product. So this episode you'll hear today offers a great update. Shanti and I discussed what Whipstone Farm looks like today and all the changes that have taken place due to the COVID-19 pandemic. As we touch on the highs and lows of 2020, what emerges is a year that Shanti and Corey can be proud of. Some of their markets and channels have changed, how they interact with the public and wholesale customers has changed, how their family lives have changed, and yet the flowers and vegetable crops keep going, keep growing. The seasons march on. There are CSA boxes filled with delicious, healthy food and vases for fresh, local, and seasonal flowers. You will enjoy this conversation and, I hope, join Shanti and me as we marvel at how much each of us has been able to accomplish by just figuring it out this year. Please visit DebraPrinzing.com for episode 483, 
to find a Whipstone Farm photo gallery and links to all of the farm's social places. So let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so excited today to welcome back my friend Shanti Raid of Whipstone Farm in Paulden, Arizona. Hi, Shanti. Hi, Deborah. We were just trying to remember when it was that I came to visit you, but at least three years. Yeah, we're thinking maybe four years, but we <laughs> it's hard to remember things if you don't look them up. <laughs> Well, it was great because my parents used to winter in Arizona, and so I created I created a like a field trip for all the Scottsdale Phoenix people to drive up to Paulden Prescott, and you hosted uh, a fun gathering, a tour, and then we even had like a wonderful potluck meal. It was just a lovely day. I still have hey. such fond memories of that day. Yeah, and I think we tried to record a short podcast in the greenhouse when I visited you, so. This is this is part two, yeah. <laughs> but the reason one of the reasons I wanted to uh, host you on the podcast is that I've been trying to do a series throughout the year of 2020, and I've been pretty good at it, uh, despite all the interruptions of hosting the regional directors for ASCFG, the leadership, and or some of the leadership, and so you are wearing the the regional director hat for South and Central which is Arizona, where you're based, Arkansas, Colorado, Louisiana, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Texas, and Utah. And that's a lot of geography to cover, which you're not doing in person, right? No, definitely not. And it's, it's pretty wide range, as in, it's not like we all have super similar growing environments, but, you know, we have to break it up somehow and sure. nice make connections, you know, with a certain, like, subgroup of our kind of growing member populations. Right, right, exactly. I mean, I think the only thing you have in common is that you're all in states with a lot of land. (laughs) I mean, it's not like New England where the states are really compact and everyone's close to each other. So yeah, and it's also hot. So we might not have exactly the same type of heat, but mm-hmm. it's definitely like warmer growing mm-hmm. issues. That yeah. Well, speaking of that, I mean, that's, that's the plus side for Whipstone Farm is that you are almost a year round operation, right? Yes and no. Um, so we do grow year round, but we're much colder than most people think of Arizona being. So um, like where your parents were or in the Phoenix lower desert region, it's definitely I'd say fall, winter, spring is their prime growing time. We're a little bit different. We're at 5,000 feet elevation. And so we're, and we're zone seven. We're a little more similar to other parts of the country. That's that so kind of true. Like yeah. Growth really slows down in the winter, but we do have a lot of sun year round. So even though it's cold in the winter, the sun is out. So we do a lot of growing in like high tunnels um, and stuff like that. But we still have about a two-month stretch with no flowers blooming, even though we might have planted a lot of, you know, cool annual biennials in the fall to start blooming in the spring. They're not, like, actually mm-hmm. blooming in the winter. So um, we are able to eke out a little more vegetable production through those colder months because just, like, the amount of time to get, say, leafy greens to a harvestable stage is a lot shorter than most flowers. Right. So, um, yeah, so we are, like, a mixed operation. Lot, lots of vegetables, about 75% vegetables and 25% flowers. But we do work at some year-round production. Okay. Well, I'm trying to remember how many uh, structures you have on the property at Whipstone. You, you have a number of indoor growing spaces, right? Yeah, we have um, just one heated greenhouse, which is our propagation house. So nothing is 
growing to maturity in there. It's all just, you know, for seedling production. And then we have about eight greenhouses, uh, unheated greenhouses. You could call it a high tunnel or a hoop house or, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on how they're built, they have Mm -hmm. kind of different names, but they're all unheated growing spaces and um, all like some fancier and some real low budget ones like across the gamut. But it certainly, that is what helps us grow year round or really um, benefit those shoulder seasons, um, like early, early spring and later into the fall. So so you mentioned that Whipstone's 75% edibles and 25% flowers. How, which, which came first? Was it the food farming? Is that what you and Corey originally set out to do? Yes. Um, so we started with vegetables. Um, and I mean, just maybe a couple years in, you know, I just like threw a few sunflower seeds in a row and then it was like a nice little... I mean, I wouldn't have called myself a flower farmer for probably the first five years that we grew some flowers. It was just something to bulk out what we were selling at the farmer's market. And the way we looked at it at that time was like, you know, people are only going to spend so much per trip to the farmer's market on food because you're only going to eat so much in a week. So you can have a lot more variety, but they're still only going to spend so much on food. Mm -hmm. And flowers were like an additional purchase that could you know, increase their overall market spending. Um, and so I was like, oh, that works, you know, and then as it grew, it's, you know, we've kind of like, you know, grown along the way. Some it's like we were doing weddings, which is a whole nother thing. And now we're not doing weddings and, you know, it's, it's taken different forms and I don't quite see it the same way as it's just a way to increase market spending, but it's definitely broadened our sales channels. And mm-hmm. I'm a little more interested in the flower end of things. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my realm. And, um, my husband, while we grow like a million different vegetables, my husband really likes chilies. And so that's his baby and we have value added products with the chilies. So yeah, we're kind of all over the place. Mm. Well, it sounds like just to back up a little bit when you said you used to do weddings and now you don't. So you kind of tried everything. And then as you tried it, you were constantly evaluating, is this going to be a good fit for our, our overall, you know, kind of operation? Totally. Yeah. Trail and error. So right now, how do you sell your flowers? Because I know that there was, when we visited, it was just the early stages of designers in Phoenix and the more metro areas hungry to get their hands on your beautiful product. Yeah. So it started out mainly at the farmer's market with flowers. And then we expanded, we already had a CSA program for our mm-hmm. vegetables. So it was pretty easy to just offer a flower share, which, you know, people could buy a veggie share or a flower share, but we were already going to those deliveries. Sure. Um, and those are still the top two kind of sales avenues for flowers. Mm-hmm. And then we did start selling to designers, which was just a very slow road to making that successful. It's, it's happening, but it's, um, so there's not a lot of florists or designers up where we are. We're pretty rural and everything's very spread out. Um, so the Phoenix area was kind of where we were focusing our attention. And while there's a lot of interest, it's very spread out and we're Mm -hmm. not like, we don't have like a savvy distribution network. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't always worth it for us to go deliver everything door to door. So over the years, we've kind of trained people to come like meet us at a central location or one of two central locations in the city. Um, but even that always felt like it's it's really like pulling teeth to make, to get enough sales to make it worth the trip. However, um, 
there are have been some more local florists like that interest is building just as it doesn't feel quite so like new and out of the realm of possibility to buy local flowers here. You know, we're like 10 years behind, you know, Seattle or a lot of the coastal cities. So it's still like, oh, local food was in, you know, important. And then it's taken a long time to be like, oh, local flowers, like people will ask for them. But um, so that local florists are kind of coming on. But what was really great for us this year is um, for several years now, I've been trying to connect with selling to a wholesaler. Mm-hmm. And it's been very challenging. Um, so the main wholesaler that we have in our area is Mayesh. And they uh, we got a new manager of the local branch or the Phoenix branch. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, you know, I, I don't want to get into the politics of the business or whatever, but him and I really clicked. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he was on board, he was very excited to buy from us. And I guess he got this job like March or April, like horrible horrible timing. Right. Right. Um, and their whole operation shut down for I think a few months. Yep. Um, so it was a really rough year for the kind of worldwide floral industry. But, um, but once they were back up and running, he reached out to me, came up to visit our farm, immediately started buying stuff. They sent a truck up or a van, you know, up to us twice a week to pick up. Like, oh my gosh. And, um, it was like a thousand times easier than doing small individual florist orders. So for our scale, and it's not like we're gigantic, but we have 15 acres in production. Um, you know, I didn't really want to do small hundred dollar orders. So having bigger orders without a lot of particularness, it was like, Oh, I'll take a hundred bunches of dahlias, like no color specifications. That was way easier for me than trying to do like, Onesie, you know, twosies. A bunch of this and a bunch of that and very specific colors. So it just fits more with our production style. We're more like, you know, we have a larger crew. We have a larger acreage. We really want to like move through it and not have a really tiny specific things, which is totally the opposite for really small scale growers with a half an acre. That's exactly what they need because they can't, you know, fill large orders. So it's like everyone has their niche and I'm finding that really worked for us. And they were so excited. There's not a lot of flower farmers in Arizona. So they haven't had the luxury of a lot of local production um, in the wholesalers here where they might have in the Northwest or um, some other areas. So it's kind of like everyone was hungry for it. So even when they put our product out on their shelf, you know, they slapped our name on it and kind of made a big deal about it. And people were hungry for it or already knew our name, but it was too hard to get our product. So now all of a sudden it was available and we just got tons of good positive feedback. So that was like, Mm. that was one of my shining stars of 2020. That is a shining star, Shanti. And I'm so glad to hear about it because, um, the, I think that the fear that, that some wholesalers have about working with local growers is that once the florist population finds out the source of those local flowers, then I think the wholesalers think, Oh, they're going to get bypassed in the process, but you don't have the logistics or the infrastructure to to do that, you you want to serve florists in this like one stop shopping operation, which probably is the way it stays profitable for you. If you had to do all these availability lists and custom orders, it would eat up all your profits. Not to mention the deliveries. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think there's a way to make everything work, but I'm just finding for me, um, and and I totally hear what you're saying about the concern of the wholesalers because mm-hmm. I'm still offering the same product to the florist currently because I haven't quite wanted to take, you know, to stop doing direct to florist sales. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but there is definitely a price break selling to a wholesaler, knowing that they're going to resell it and mark it up. Um, and the convenience for me of them picking up from the farm and making much larger orders, it's, you know, it's worth it for me to sell it for a cheaper price. But if you were to compare like what they're selling my product for to what I'm selling at Trek to the florist for, it's still not the same price. Right. 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 So yeah, I understand. Um, for sure. There's not maybe concern, but in this case, I think with so little competition for local, you know, they're, um, possibly I'm bringing them business by directing people who can't meet my minimums or didn't order ahead or whatever. Um, or, you know, I, they, they want direct delivery to their door, which I'm not going to provide. Um, so I might be sending them a little bit of business who people that are looking for me directly, but I mean, I'm now in front of a whole bunch of florists that probably never knew who we were. So there, you know, all I, all I can say is that in this particular case, it was really a win-win. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's a net positive. Yeah. And they finally, um, I don't want to say finally, they got someone in place that saw the value and was willing to like take the risk to at least bring the product in and it totally worked. So, well, well, anecdotally, I've heard from multiple conversations with, with growers who are selling to wholesalers in their area. Some are part of big networks like Mayesh and others are more just like a a one-off single regional wholesaler that, Mm -hmm. okay, COVID basically made this demand, you know, for local product explode. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden you had, you had an outside force that was pushing a regional manager of a wholesaler to say, yeah, okay, maybe the supply chain has been disrupted for imports, maybe in certain categories. And at the same time, customers have got to be in there asking for Arizona grown. So it's a perfect, you know, perfect storm in a way that I think works for, like you said, a win-win. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know I got a million calls from florists whenever <laughs> the wholesaler shut down and it, I couldn't just, you know, materialize like 10 times the product. Right. Like, so it was a, it was a odd spring, like when that yeah. happened. Yeah. But I think there is, um, as challenging as it was, and I don't want to minimize it because people lost their jobs and businesses went under, but like that kind of realization that this global supply chain, like, can be disrupted. So we have to cultivate and like nurture all along the way, like the local production too. We're not going to ever fill the entire need, but that there's value to both beyond just like, Oh, it's fresher. Like there's value because we can still make it happen when bigger thing, bigger mm-hmm. network goes down. So I think there is like, it's just that exposure to all the possible, like all the values and all the possibilities of how the world may shift. We have to be ready to like meet those challenges. So I do think there was a value to that, like, challenging the mindset of like everything's available all the time. Right. Even like running out of toilet paper, there's some value to like realizing like you will find a way to survive, <laughs> <laughs> you know, with or without it. So. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, I was, <laughs> I wanted to talk about COVID and uh, how it affected you. And, and it sounds anecdotally, I feel like the, the stories we've heard about, you know, people panic buying seeds and, the home gardening explosion and, you know, so the nurseries, every, every nursery I've talked to is like blown up and landscapers are busy and all. Did, did that happen with people's desire for uh, buying food direct from the farmer and then by, by association buying flowers direct from the farmer? Like has Whipstone really been able to uh, handle all that demand? Um, so I would say all in all, like we did well, it was a good year for us. Um, 
but it came with so much like stress and challenge mm. that I just you know, in the end, it's hard to feel like, oh, it was a great year. I mean, we're in business. We've kept all of our employees. Our sales have been good. But it was, a, you know, it was just a lot of stress. Right. I mean, I feel like the word of the year has got to be pivot, right? And I'm mm-hmm. tired of like, saying that word, but <laughs> but everyone did it, right? So, um, I mean, for us, we I felt very lucky. Um, one of the problems is that our main outlet is farmer's markets. And early on, like our decide, our farmer's market decided to close. Um, Can I just stop you for a second too? Is it yeah. in Paulden or Prescott? Which farmer's market is it? Yeah. So this is in Prescott okay. or Prescott, as the locals say. Prescott. Um, <laughs> and and um, just- so it's, that's about 45 minutes okay. from our farm, but we live in a, like a town with only a post office and a gas station. So there ain't a lot happening in yeah. Paulden. Yeah. So that's your um, main, main hub for, for farmer's market. Yeah, so Prescott and then Flagstaff is our other main farmer's okay. market. We usually do two, like a Saturday and a Sunday market. Um, so Prescott, they run a year-round market, decided to close in March, but they immediately, like the same week, figured out an online buying um, mechanism and started, you know, pre-selling boxes. So wow. we were selling vegetable boxes weekly. Um, we would go drop them off like early on a Saturday morning. And then they had a system where they would give people a time frame to drive up, pick up their order. So there was like minimal contact or no contact. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of started with just the farmers and then they like started adding in like the other value added people as they were, had the capacity to. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty cool because they had like a slew of volunteers that would help combine all the orders. And so we were, being much able to sell everything through that mechanism. So flowers too, we just would list bouquet of the week or whatever, you know, and wow. we were able to move our flowers. So that was great. Um, during that kind of week, like of major panic, I set up an online store myself and was all ready to like ship flowers, I guess, across the country or wherever people would buy them from um, out of panic. But it kind of ended up being, I didn't need to do that. Um, because we were able to sell enough through that market. But you've got that built in just in case you need to turn it on next year. <laughs> exactly. Well, and we've actually utilized it like in some other capacities, which is cool. But so I was so grateful that our farmer's market was. Um, so just, innovative. You know, but yeah, like they, they were able to um, put in the time and like dedication to making sure everyone could still sell their stuff mm-hmm. that definitely mm-hmm. we probably would have found a way, right. We would have like sold our own boxes and had people pick it up at the farm because we're pretty scrappy. Like we're going to find a way to get food to people, but they made it really easy for us. And that was a huge, huge blessing. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Uh, we ended up kind of dropping out of our Flagstaff market, which is weird because we've been selling there for about 15 years since they started. Um, and I got a lot of sad emails of people who missed us. And, um, but it was like, it, it was so hard to pre list ahead of time. Like we will have so many boxes for you and so many boxes for you. And then if one didn't sell out and the other did, it just got too complicated. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we kind of streamlined and went with the one that was like working for us and was a little closer to home and, um, kind of the other shining star of 2020 is that we had a day off. So we took some days off. We've never done that before because we've had a farmer's market. I saw you post some really sweet uh, Instagram uh, images of like family outings. And wow. Well, my kids, they're like, you know, teenage and almost teenage aged. And, um, you know, we've never really 
done fun things with them, right? The farm is like 100% of our life. And so seven days a week. Yeah. So that was actually like a huge, um, just kind of an eye opener to like how really challenging times can bring, you know, some positive things as well. So I think for our family and kind of personal life, it really was a good thing. Um, and then we, I, what the other thing I ended up doing it, it wasn't, it didn't take off like crazy, but because I had figured out shipping and shipping flowers as we started shipping flowers to some of our florists in Arizona was too complicated to get them orders through direct delivery. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was like, Oh, that works too. Right. I can send it FedEx overnight and it wasn't too expensive sending that in state. And so that actually helped, you know, helped certain floral customers get what we wanted, but not having to divert all of our flow to shipping. Right. I would imagine that, uh, did you do that at Mother's Day? Because that's probably where the demand started to spike or was we it later? We did some of that. Mm-hmm. However, some of our like existing customers that we deliver directly to in Phoenix um, wanted way more than we already had. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So like we were already delivering to them and they wanted, I can't remember the number, like twice as many pre-made bouquets as I was willing to part with. So Because <laughs> <laughs> we still had like... Um, you know, going through the farmer's market and whatnot. So, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, I would say like the demand was there um, and that was never the issue. It was like the stress of constantly figuring out new things. So yeah. Yeah. same, we also have a real small, but um, dedicated like farm stand following. So we have like a little wooden building. Yeah, at your property. Shack. Yeah, a little shack on our property. I, fix, I can picture um, it. Yeah. So, but you know, with COVID in the beginning, it was like, uh, we don't really feel comfortable with people coming in and grabbing their own stuff. And it, so it's normally um, self-serve mm-hmm. on our system. And that just felt a little bit too exposed. Um, so we switched that to like a full service farm stand. So we just really reduced the hours. We had a couple days a week open for a few hours. You could come up and we would like, I kind of felt like a car hop. Like I would, I didn't have roller skates because it's dirt. <laughs> But like, you know, we'd go up to the car, we had a little, like a big board I'd bring out, like, here's everything available. And they would tell me what they want. I'd go pick it up and bring it back. And, and so, then yeah. they'd, they'd like Venmo you or something. So you didn't have to touch the money. Yeah. Yeah. We did take cash, but a lot of people Venmo or PayPal or whatever. And just, yeah, it's so funny. And then you get like super seniors learning how to use Venmo. Yeah. It was, like the whole thing was amazing and hilarious. And like, we made it work, you know? Do you think that you'll continue that for 2021? Or did it just I mean, depend? It worked. We did at one point go back to self-serve. Mm-hmm. It's really not like for the volume of traffic we have. It's not totally worth it. Yeah. But that was kind of a way for people who didn't want to buy a, pre, a pre-assembled box of vegetables. They could come out and get individual items. It was just another choice for them. But once the farmer's market went back to like open sales, um, then we kind of closed the, we went back to self-serve mm-hmm. in the farm. But um, but I too, but we now know all those things we can do when the need arises, right? Yeah. Like it's not so scary. Wow. Yeah. So that it's like the the psychic drain of figuring all this out is is really sort of offsets maybe the the boost in demand. Like, okay, yeah, we got more of a demand, but then we have to respond to right. this all these iterations of how we sell our product. So Yeah. And there's always the stress of like, are you being safe enough? Are you taking enough precautions? And then there's like, I mean, this has slowed way down, but like the flood of like the information that people need to know, it's very demanding. Like the phone calls, the emails, the 
direct messages that, you know, like, ever, how do I, what are your hours of your farm stand? What are the, you know, mm-hmm. it was so, um, it felt like a full-time job just managing people's need to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so are you, that's all settled down a little bit. Are, yeah, in general, are you the main face of the company um, for com- customer inter- interactions? Yeah, we, we were at a point one time where I had sort of like an office manager, like someone who did a lot of um, the computer work and the like communications and that person's no longer with us. And so it's, I just haven't really found the right person to take that over. So yeah, it's up to me, even though I'm outside 90% of the time yeah. and I have to like come in and I think if I was like sitting at my desk, it would be no problem. Yeah. Because I'm, you know, like I'm out in the field working then the trying to keep up with all those communications. Is yeah. A yeah. So, you know, I made it. Made oh. it oh my gosh. Well, in the course of all that, what you've described is some, some, version of this happened to every member of ASCFG in 2020. And so you had a lot of communications with people in, well, nationally, but also in your region. I, I, we were just talking before we turned on the recorder about your, um, I, I noticed that you had done some, you know, meet the expert things on Facebook live. That's like an ongoing feature. Uh, if you're, I guess, I don't even know if you have to be a member of ASCFG to watch those. I think that they're some I of them are available to the public because they are, well, they might have a few that are um, listed. I'm not sure where, like maybe on their website, but okay. basically they live in the ASCFG private Facebook. Group. Oh, okay. So remember, it's for members. Yeah. Yeah. Remember you're automatically a part of the group and you can go watch all the past ones. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think that's why I saw them because I'm a member and, and I saw that you did a bouquet uh, demo recently with Aaron McMullen of Raindrop Farms and I, I missed it, but I guess I can go back and watch it. We can go back and watch yeah. it. Yeah. We were talking a lot about we're, we're similar production wise. Like we're not making a lot of high-end wedding bouquets. This is not about how to make like the fanciest bouquet you can. This is about like streamlining, like how to, how to build bouquets really quick and economically so you can sell a lot of them. Right. Right. <laughs> so that was kind of the focus of that was like how to have a good product mix at all times of your production season. If you can make a mixed bouquet and, um, and like keep the price point down. So you could sell them to a wholesaler or to a florist. Yeah. I was uh, surprised when you said that you were selling mixed bouquets to florists. So I, is that kind of the type of bouquet you were talking about? Yeah. For, for that, um, ask the expert. Yeah. We were talking about like how to make kind of, you know, mixed market bunches or whatever, which is still like our, because we have them all throughout the year or the, our growing season and they just change what what goes in them. It's like our number one seller, right? Because we have it for so long. It's like your signature um, item. Yeah. And it, and it's like what people feel comfortable buying or, you know, it's appealing to them or whatever. But I'm surprised how many mixed bouquets I sell to florists. You'd think that's their job, right? To right. Like, that's what I'm surprised about too. Put their on it, but it, um, you know, for whatever reason, like it does take time, right? So there's like the labor cost involved. So if it is economical for them to buy pre-assembled bouquets and it meets their aesthetic value um, for their type of operation, then it works, right? So well, I'm surprised as well, but yeah. yeah. Well, the, the thing that you just described about being efficient and economical is like the biggest cost of net bouquet is your labor, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, on my end, yes, but that's the labor of growing it and harvesting it and assembling it. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, what else is happening with ASCFG as we, um, you know, you have your ear to the ground and you're, you're kind of in communication constantly with other regional directors and I'm sure members reach out to you. That's why your phone's <laughs> ringing all the time. 
Um, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. And anyone's welcome to reach out. Like I can always hear more from my region or anybody in the mm-hmm. ACFG. Um, unfortunately, I'm not quite that active on the Facebook group because there's so much going on there. I have to like tune out sometimes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But if anyone wants to send me an email or like a direct message, I love to hear from You're them. very accessible, Ashanti. <laughs> um, so it seems, you know, like one of our biggest things is like educational initiatives. So because we haven't been able to do in-person conferences um, and that's still kind of iffy into the future, it's hard to plan a big conference. Like I'm sure you know, but maybe not everyone knows like how far in advance you plan for conferences, Mm -hmm. you know, like maybe a year in advance, you're securing the spot and paying deposits and, yeah. You know, and no one has and no one has a crystal ball into even 2021, let alone beyond. Totally. So, so right. It's not like everything's canceled forever, but it's just hard to like put a ton of effort into it yet without knowing. So we've, um, I mean, as always the ASCFT is so they work so hard, like the, you know, Judy and Linda and everyone who works for the organization and we're there to support them, but we're all busy farmers ourselves, the directors. So, um, they're doing a great job of getting a lot of content online. So obviously there's all the past conferences online you can watch, but, um, They've been doing a couple of webinar style um, sessions. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you're a member, those are available to you. Even after the fact, you can watch the replays. Um, They did one on no-till farming and another one on risk management. And there's a few more coming up. Um, And then like our monthly Ask the Expert, which is usually board members, but sometimes other folks that we bring in. Um, So there's all kinds of online content, which we will continue to expand on. And then... Other things are like a little on hold until we have the woman normal. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I feel like that's exactly what I've had to do with Slow Flowers activities. And um, I also feel like those of us who want to be in community and want to have this, you know, kind of reciprocity with fellow, you know, kindred spirits, we're, we're willing to learn this technology. We're learn willing to learn zoom. We're willing to learn how to do Facebook live. I mean, I just feel like maybe I resisted it at the beginning of COVID and I kind of wanted to just hunker down with, with my, my cup of tea and sit by the fire, but eventually it just became the new normal. And so now, now our expectations are different. I think about online content, um, doesn't have to be high production value. It just has to be easy for people to access. And so. Yeah, totally. No, I feel like I'm, I'm not like, uh, horrible at technology, but like learning all of the like online sales and shipping and. Oh my gosh. Little things I wanted to just be like, nah, I don't like, I don't want to figure out that hurdle. I don't, I don't feel (laughs) like, you know, I don't feel like learning new things, but then. But you did it. And it pushes you in a good way, like (laughs) in a good way to, yeah, it's like get over those inner roadblocks that you mm-hmm. have about mm-hmm. whatever and mm-hmm. you reach out and find someone who is good at that and and you get to help them. And um, just like people ask me lots of gardening questions, right? And sometimes I'm a little annoyed, but I'm like, well, I'm just helping them do something that I want everyone to do. So it's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Are you uh, in a position to expand your capacity at Whipstone Farm for 2021 or are you kind of at... Your, I don't even remember how many, how many, what your acreage is. Cause I know you have some field grown crop crops as well. Right. Oh yeah. We have, yeah. We were, we're like mostly field grown. So okay. we have, I don't know what our total like greenhouse square footage is, but I'm just going to quickly say 
don't know, like maybe 12,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. In it's probably a little more than that. But, um, and then um, we have about, we have about 18 acres of available field space and we're growing about like 15 on average. Wow. Um, and this year we even planted a little bit less because during COVID we decided to not hire anybody early on. So that happened about, you know, March and April when we would normally be hiring more summer crew. So we were a little um, limited in our labor capacity mm-hmm, to keep up sure. with it all, but we ended up planting a little bit less. So we we could expand a little bit, but we, I think we've gotten to a point, um, my husband and I in our business, where we don't want to get too big. It's just like how much kind of stress and like how many employees you want to have. So it's not that we couldn't expand. There's certainly opportunities around, but as far as like land that we own, um, that's about 18 acres. Sure. You know, we could plant up to that and feel comfortable, but we just aren't interested in like, we're, we already have two different properties five miles apart. We don't want to get more kind of chaotic and spread out than we already are. So that's a really good, like, kind of upper limit for us. But um, we also, there's a lot of room for switching up production, right, within our acreage. Sure. So if we want to increase flowers and decrease vegetables. If we decided to do away with our CSA and increase wholesale, there's a lot of decisions to be made, right. That could alter what we plan and how we produce so that, mm-hmm. you know, like the decisions you always have to make. So it's the constant conversation about before yeah. you commit to whatever plugs and seeds for 2021, you've got to have that conversation with yourself. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything new that you're going to grow in 2021 on the floral side that, that you're excited about that is new to you maybe? Or you're not quite there yet. I did plant like a ton of woodies about a year ago. Mm. So, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take some of them to get to like cutting stage. So I'm excited for those. So new to me, but probably not new to most people. Um, And then there's some crops I'm still trying to figure out that I haven't had a ton of luck with, like eucalyptus. Um, But there's nothing totally like, I I guess, I don't know, I don't want to say we've grown at all, but I've done so much trial and error over the years or some things that I know just don't work here. Yeah. And, um, and I've dropped off. Sometimes I'll try them again just to make sure, because sometimes you just find a little, you know, like a little tiny trick that changes the game. But, um, but I've really figured out like what does work here yeah. and kind of, kind of figured out what doesn't. I, I'm more willing to drop the things that don't work anymore and focus on what does. And um, honestly, selling more to wholesalers, it, it makes sense to up the game on things that are, I don't want to say easy, but like, um, I know I can do well. Yeah. Um, and it can't be those specialty things that don't produce a lot or like super finicky or have a very short growing season. I really want to grow a lot of the things I can grow a lot of and sort of up, uh, up that production. So that's kind of what I'm the most excited about actually is the more normal, easy, yeah. not easy to grow, but you know, like things I've already mastered, so to speak. But you've had to kind of, you are a pioneer in Arizona because you really didn't have a lot of models to look at. And so you did have to kind of do trial and error for, you know, just to teach yourself what was possible. When I mentioned, heard you mentioned dahlias, I just thought to myself, wow, you could probably sell every stem of dahlia you grow just because it's not commonly available in, in Arizona. It's coming over from California, probably. Right. And I'm sure, as you know, they're not like the best shippers, right? No, it doesn't ship well at all. A value to it for sure. However, I think 
it's more appreciated on the wholesale florist end of things than it is at the farmer's market. Like people like them at the farmer's market, but I don't think they realize it's still kind of a short-lived flower and, mm-hmm. you know, it's whatever their feelings are about it. Mm-hmm. But florists who want to get them and buy them shipped in and realize the quality difference, right? you know, I think are the ones who are really appreciating them. Yeah. Um, and it's not, I don't think it's true with everything that I can grow it better than somebody somewhere else just because it's local. But those things that have a short shelf life or vase life, for sure. It's essential, yeah. Plus you're delivering it in water probably. So oh, yeah. it's like never out of water. Totally. Wow, that's exciting. Well, listen, I have had so much fun catching up with you. I, I know that uh, <laughs> we both have to go off to other appointments, but I, I love the update. It's not quite the same seeing you on Zoom as visiting your beautiful farm, but uh, I'd love to come back someday. And I just thank you so much for the update. Uh, kind of a snapshot of what's happening with a farm that a lot of people follow on social media. And uh, maybe, maybe I don't know, do you do a lot of um, Instagram TV videos on your site? I have not. <laughs> I have yet to do an IGTV. Oh, that's a new technology thing you have to learn, Shanti. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to learn it, but I did do my first... Um, Oh, I already forgot the name. This is showing how, like, um, you know, where you, oh, real. I did my oh, first real. Which I was is like, oh, I, is she talking about TikTok? Video. But a real, uh, which is Instagram. Yeah, well, so they, I think they have something like reels on yes. TikTok. And I mm-hmm. only know what TikTok is because of my kids. Um, <laughs> but uh, re, it's called Reels on Instagram. Yes. And it's very, it just seems together little short videos. So it was really fun. And so there's only one up so far. Oh, good, I'll I go watch it. <laughs> I think the IGTV is just like, I don't love to hear myself, you know, <laughs> talking. So I don't know. I may or may not listen to this podcast because I have to hear myself. But, um, but I do like using social media, you know, to promote our farm and just sort of build, build the community. I love all of my flower farming friends on, yeah. on Instagram. And I appreciate you having me back on. Um, and if anyone wants to reach out, whether you're an ASCFG member or just, you know, uh, a flower a, farmer in a similar climate, like, like you were saying, it actually has been as much as I learned from everybody else, been a huge learning curve, just learning how to grow here in our specifically challenging climate. And yeah. I'm sure it's true for a lot of people, but, um, the less farmers there are, the less people there are to reach out to, yeah. um, that have your, your specific climatic limitations. So if anyone has any questions, feel free to. Oh, that's great, help. Shanti. I'll share your social media. Uh, links and I have some photos from when I visited but I might bug you for some more to share in the show notes and I hope you have a wonderful holiday season and a very very peaceful and profitable 2021 thanks Deborah same to you and thanks for everything that you do for the flower growing community you bet
Thanks so much for joining us today. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. By the way, Johnny's has shared some fun items with us for giveaways, and you might win a few packages from our favorite seed company, If you join this Friday's Slow Flowers member virtual meetup, there will be lots of giveaways as part of our monthly Zoom gathering, but you have to attend to have your name included in the random drawing for the goods. You're invited to join us this Friday, December 11th at the Slow Flowers virtual meetup for our members. This is our December meeting. It takes place via Zoom at 9 a.m. Pacific noon Eastern on Friday, December 11th. And I'm so excited to introduce you to our special guest for December, Maria Luisa Capriellian, owner of Urban Succulents, as we talk with her about growing and designing with succulents. And Maria Luisa is a past guest of this podcast as well. So I'll share that link for you to get a little background before you meet her on this Friday's meeting. This is just one of the many benefits of your Slow Flowers membership, giving you resources to share your story of creativity, sustainability, and collaboration. You can find the link to join us in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com for episode 483. Plus, I've shared the link in our Linktree menu at My Slow Flowers on Instagram, and you can find it there as well. Look forward to seeing you this Friday. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 667,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too, and I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks goes to Mayesh Wholesale Florist, family owned since 1978. Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S., just like Whipstone Farms. Learn more at mayesh.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one base at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.